is no secret that with great profit, there is not always great intention. To rise to the top often means using a ladder of humans only after stepping on person after person do many see success. This is what we believe, right? If you want to make the world a better place or go after that one dream career you have always wanted, you have to sacrifice profit. After all, the American dream is not built on solving world hunger. Though, it really could be. Throughout the last 45 episodes of this podcast, by the way, this is episode number 46. Thank you for being here. Welcome back if you are coming back. This is the You're Not Qualified podcast. I'm Courtney Heater, and I'm here to tell you that you can go do that thing even though you didn't go to school for it, even though you don't think you're qualified, do that thing. And in the last 45 episodes of this podcast, I've been saying just that. I've just about shouted at you that chasing what scares you, making a life and career that you dream of is within your reach despite the limitations that you think you have. Also, in the last 45 episodes, silently stewing in the background, also me, about what chasing this passion might mean for a person's financial potential. I'm not saying that your passion is intended to make your money. I understand that a lot of people's passions are just that, and they don't need it to make them money. They want to work and then have their pleasure hobbies that might not generate an income or a small income, and they're happy with that. This is for those folks that want that career, that dream career, that can shape the world in a way that makes it so much better, or even help one person. They want a career that gives back, but they're really worried that chasing that dream will mean that they're broke for the rest of their lives. This is for you. I'm here to tell you, you can have both. You can have purpose and you can have profit. I needed to convince myself of that though, because I wasn't sure. Do you have to choose? Well, I found the man with the answers. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I found somebody to come on and give it to us straight. Chase Friedman is here to proselytize that you can have it all. And he convinced me, <laughs> damn sure he did, and you can accomplish profit and purpose. You don't have to choose. I am curious if he will also convince you. Let's go. I feel safer already. All right. So tonight we are here with Chase Friedman. Chase is a brand strategist and fractional CMO, and he empowers purpose-driven organizations seeking greater profit and purpose, which is a, a mouthful. I'm excited that you're here, Chase. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And yeah, when you say it, it does sound like a mouthful. So maybe we should streamline that. <laughs> it, it's really impactful words. It's like boom, boom, boom. It's intentional. It's intentional, but I, I am a fan of alliteration. So mm. I'm not going to shy away from it entirely. There is some of that in there. Purpose-driven, seeking profit and purpose. Love there it. You, <laughs> you are a brand strategist and a fractional CMO, your words, I'm curious about what this means. Can you tell us a little bit about what the role is and what your goals are in the role? Certainly. So 
Um, I think part of the brand strategist, I'm actually a founder and CEO of a brand strategy and digital marketing firm called Vanquish Media. Um, and effectively, it's more of a full service agency where we help guide thought leaders and purpose-driven brands on pretty much an entire slate of brand identity, development, digital marketing, activation, and growth. Um, and so effectively, it's it's my way of being able to serve um, many people in many different ways and disciplines. Um, when it comes to brand strategist, I know it's a pretty loose term. Um, effectively, it's looking at someone's brand and their business, and I believe they're kind of one and the same, um, and helping them identify blind spots, um, helping them unlock their greatest potential for growth and for impact. Um, and on the fractional CMO side, kind of a new role and discipline I've, undertake, I've undertaken um, as a way to delve a little bit deeper with a select handful of clients that we work with, um, really being more immersed in their businesses, really at the C-suite level. So fractional CMO is becoming a little bit more of an in vogue term. You know, CMO is kind of the, I believe it's the shortest tenured um, C-suite position um, in the industry. Um, and so for a lot of institutions, a lot of organizations, you need someone at the helm leading and steering the ship from a marketing lens, mm -hmm. whether you have a marketing team or looking to build one. Um, and many entrepreneurs or CEOs place that burden on themselves and quickly become overwhelmed, distracted, confused. Um, so you need some guidance, but you don't necessarily need a full-time CMO. So uh, fractional, just fancy word for kind of a more agile, nimble part-time, but someone who's invested enough in your business, in the day-to-day really truly immersed in how your business operates so that they can help lead guide and build marketing strategies and teams. So the gaps you're looking for in these companies are in their marketing strategies or do you help outside of marketing too? Yeah, it's funny. I I, I waver in the usage of branding and marketing. I believe they mm -hmm. are one of the same. My philosophy, I come from a storytelling background as a writer, director, producer, um, so the re you know, what I tell myself at night to not completely feel like a sellout <laughs> of a storyteller is I do truly believe that, um, storytelling is inherent with any business and brand. Yeah. Right? So I typically love to lead with framing the brand, developing the brand, identifying that why you exist, how you are unique and what you are delivering to your stakeholders and audiences. Um, marketing I view as a system of tools and strategies and activations to build and grow that brand, right? So they're certainly kind of tangential, but I believe in my process that you've got to start with the core foundation of why your brand exists. And then everything comes from that. Everything yeah, once comes you from get that. that dialed. Yeah. You know, many of our clients come to us trying to skip in line and say, hey, we need a new growth strategy or lead gen or social media or paid media. And the truth is, is that, you know, we can do all those things, but I really encourage them to start um, at a much more core level because we can run any number of marketing campaigns, but if your core brand messaging and strategy and identity isn't clear and connecting with your audience, you're not going to even come close to getting to the impact or ROI that you're seeking. Um, that's really why I believe in measure tw measure twice, cut once. You know, our methodology at Vanquish, three phases, discovery, identity, and growth, right? Mm. 
first sequence discovery, getting clear and understanding um, who, you, you know, what your brand is, who you serve, how you serve them. And that is through the, I, the clear and concise messaging and brand story. Um, we do that through a brand blueprint, which looks at all aspects of the brand. So you've got a really clear roadmap for where you're going and how to get there. Once you've developed that, you move into identity. Now it's time to share with the world that developed brand voice and identity through website, collateral, pitch decks, the outward facing stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Then we can proceed into growth, right? Growth being all the digital marketing tools and tactics to help you win more customers, grow your business, develop more revenue and profitability, but really in that sequence and order, because once you start to jumble it up, uh, it's going to be diminishing returns at every stage of the thing. Yeah, because you're not clear. Because you're not clear. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. This uh, work that you're doing with Vanquish, it feels like it would be really great to do that on a human level too. <laughs> like a person's just like developing their purpose and like their goals and, then <laughs> and vision. Then, yeah, and then let's do a little bit of a makeover to you know yeah. look and feel the way you are inside, and then let's you know, get you out in the world. Yeah, look, it's funny because a lot of our client engagements, I feel like so much of the job um, is therapy in a way. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Uh, yeah, It's <laughs> it's personal, professional coaching and therapy. Um, when I work with a brand and we kind of start at the core of our brand blueprint and I start saying, you know, what's your why? Why do you mm -hmm. exist? You know, what do you believe in the world? And you get these blank stares and, because they've ever they've either never, never thought of it for their business, let alone themselves. And I do believe it's got to start from a, an internal, personal pursuit um, that drives your motivation and passion for running and growing a business. Yeah. You did touch a little bit on your background. And it is not necessarily the normal path for a CMO, even though you did say that it's the it's the lowest tenured, you know, C-suite position. However, CMOs, I I've known usually go to business school, right? And they yeah. usually are maybe getting their start in startups. They work their way up, but your background is interesting. It's not traditional to a CMO. So let's talk about that for a little bit. No, it's not. And let's unpack that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll be honest. I mean, this was um, going back some years. I don't think I would have ever considered myself in a marketing role, let alone a CMO role. Mm -hmm. um, it's really been an evolution of, um, how I've wanted to help and serve people, um, finding my own purpose and what I'm good at, what my own superpower is in that capacity. You know, going from more of a traditional storytelling in film and television to championing story as part of a brand uh, voice, right? Being hired and commissioned by, you know, large brands from Fortune 500 down to lean startups and nonprofits around how do we develop our voice? How do we create content? that is compelling to engage audiences. So once again, taking the DNA, the, everything I love about storytelling and how do you infuse that into a product and or service or a business. But the gap there was you can create the best storytelling content in the world. And since we're drowning in all this information and white noise, content coming out at every angle, if you're not reaching the right people in the right ways, then even the best content can fall flat, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I took it upon myself to really kind of learn and train and upskill in more of a digital marketing perspective. And it kind of started to trigger both sides of the brain, the creative and the analytical. One of the things you do as a filmmaker is you can work on a film for months and years 
in a bubble, in a vortex with no insight or feedback. Is it going to work? Is it going to suck? Are people going to like it? And the film comes out, the show debuts, et cetera, and people love it or hate it. Critics pan it or they, or they rave about it. And that's about it. And you don't have a lot of transparency in terms of what and how and why it was effective. Mm -hmm. um, the thing I love about the digital marketing space and especially short form branded content, nowadays you can measure everything. I mean, you can measure- yeah, And you can test everything. You can test, you can optimize, you can a split test. Yeah. Uh, you know, we never be able to, we were never able to do that. So having created thousands of short form pieces of content over the years for different brands, it's amazing how you can really optimize towards a formula. Um, what is going to work, not just to, you know, for someone to say, hey, I really love that video, but inspire them to action or take another step or start a broader conversation. Um, so, you know, all that to say is it, it evolved from story. It snowballed into an agency that started serving, uh, you know, a full service digital marketing services to tie great content with uh, audience activation. And um, I love running the business. I love running the agency. But what I missed and what I started out doing in my in my agency was consulting. And that was just being able to work more intimately, more closely with brands um, at a deeper level. When you're running an agency, you don't have that luxury all the time. Um, mm -hmm. I do believe in quality over quantity. So we're not a massive firm. Mm -hmm. um, but the fractional CMO thing came about where, quite frankly, I think I was giving away a lot of strategy for free and um, <laughs> learned very quickly that what I found to be kind of obvious, a lot of brands were still missing in their, in their uh, efforts. Yeah. If you're good at it, don't do it for free. That's a really good point. Yeah, don't give it away. Yeah. Don't give it away. A part of the reason that I reached out to you to be on my podcast, your business's tagline vanquish business and organizations you work with to do good and do well. I loved it. One thing that I've really toyed with honestly in my own life. And I know that friends of mine have and listeners, they want to do good, but it's so hard to justify that with trying to make more money. And it is this, it absolutely is split in a lot of people's minds. In my mind, it sometimes is split. Sometimes it's a happy marriage of the two forces of good and, you know, evil's really harsh, but making a lot of money is sometimes not meaning you're doing what's best for the world to get very high up in a company to make a lot of money. You have to sometimes step on a lot of people. So I'd love to start like getting into that idea with what inspired you to develop a business that is having this mission statement. Like where did that come from to help businesses and organizations do good and do well? Um, sure. Well, yeah. I mean, your first question being the why, mm -hmm. um, you know, having run and, and grown my business and my career over the years, um, I, I very much believe, you know, I'm in kind of that accidental entrepreneur sort of position. Um, yeah. I couldn't tell you way back when that I ventured to start at, start an agency, let alone a little marketing agency. Um, you know, it's, it was more school, the hard knocks. Um, the truth is, is starting your business, you say a lot, yes to a lot of things. And over time, um, the business starts to define you, um, being led by the clients you're serving, what they're requesting and feeling an emptiness. Um, there's there, the world does not need more marketing or branding agencies. That's for sure. Um, so as opposed to being led by 
the work that was coming in through referral, word of mouth, what have you, um, losing the passion and purpose behind, okay, so why am I doing this again? And, you know, what I originally loved about serving and helping people um, is becoming more just about running and growing a business. Um, what I realized and, and through some, you know, mentors over the years and some, some, quite frankly, some, uh, uh, some faltering of my own, you know, whether it's you know, losing clients, losing revenue, some personal professional sort of tragedies, I had to shake things up. I knew that if I was going to continue on this path and this pursuit, it needed to be for a greater purpose and a greater reason. Um, my mentor used to say, you know, know your definite major purpose. And I always struggled. What does that mean? And, you know, how do I put myself in a box? I did know that I got the most joy by helping others, organizations, usually what I consider now purpose-driven organizations, nonprofits, for-profits, be their best selves, have the greatest impact with their audiences and communities, right? Does that mean save the world, save the planet? No, not necessarily. Um, but being in business for a greater good trying to have a greater impact beyond just making a bottom line profit. So, you know, it did take a, a, a wake up call. Um, you know, quite frankly, I had, we had a banner year in 2020 and 2021 kind of things fell out uh, from the bottom and kind of almost starting from scratch. I kept the team together, but I had to do a lot of soul searching do I want to continue this path or shut it down and do something completely different? Mm -hmm. And it really, it took a, a deeper look at myself in terms of what was I on this, you know, in this life for. Um, and I knew that I loved helping others and guiding others on their journeys, um, arguably sometimes better than I can do for myself. Mm -hmm. um, but helping others find, you know, a line, as I like to call it, their passion, their purpose, and finding the clarity to how to, you know, how to start a business or, or, or what have you. Um, so it, it came from a personal journey and then obviously putting two hands back on the wheel of the agency saying, all right, we have to plant a stake in the ground. We have, you know, this is where I want to take us moving forward. Um, and it's not just lip service because we all have seen plenty of that out there where people preach a good message, businesses, coaches, executives, and they don't do anything to back it up. So I was damn sure that we were going to have to walk the walk as well. Um, and we've done that through a variety of engagements, you know, member of 1% for the planet. Um, mm -hmm. We're on the board of multiple nonprofits. We do a lot of pro bono work. Um, honestly, I try to make that lead more than I like to talk about being purpose-driven. Right. Um, so that's, you know, a longer answer uh, around how I arrived at, you know, why we we focus and champion and empower purpose-driven people in businesses. I love that you mentioned you don't have to save the planet. You can just do some good. It doesn't have to be this dichotomy of black and white and you are out to, you know, carbon zero, what have yeah. you. Yeah. Just be better than you were before this idea. Bring back to the the world in a way that's some good. It doesn't have to be you are, yeah, the next, I don't know, Bill Gates agency or something that's, right. you know, giving so much back. But perfect segue into the poll that I sent out to Instagram. So as I said, I was pretty aware that people had 
varied ideas of what it is to do good and make money and if they can exist together, if they have to exist separately. So I asked them some pointed questions and I have some aggregated data around the answers. And I would love to go through each one and basically get your reactions to each one and your thoughts on the data and any data you can offer as well to kind of ease some minds here. Yeah. So one question I proposed, does doing social good usually mean you won't make a lot of money? And I had three different options to choose from. The first, no money. It is called a nonprofit for a reason. The second, I think you can make a lot of money. And the third, if you're strategic, the money will come. I was very shocked that 50% felt that no money, it's called nonprofit for a reason. Um, 12%, you can make a lot of money, which is so sadly low. And then 38% for the other one. But 50%, you are nonprofit. You're not going to make any money. What are your thoughts? So um, I'm not surprised. And I, I'll I'll be honest, I think there was a time when I probably would have answered similarly um this is what excites me about like living in this time Mm. profit and purpose are not mutually exclusive Mm -hmm. um and what i mean by that is it doesn't mean by having one you cannot have the other and i'm not just saying that there is overwhelming data that proves that on all spectrums we're living in this amazing movement in time where we've shifted from a shareholder-driven economy to a stakeholder-driven economy. And what that means, stakeholders is everyone from your internal stakeholders and team and employees and all that to your external consumers and peers and networks. Um, There is a greater consciousness and responsibility and demand for businesses to do good. Mm -hmm. And the data is overwhelmingly already telling us that a commitment to purpose from a, as a business or a brand is proven to drive growth. And what do I mean by growth? Like growth at every level, right? So from a consumer standpoint, margin and market share, you know, consumers are willing to pay four to six times more uh, or they're four to six times more likely to buy from trust and champion companies that stand by an aligned purpose, right? Um, 80% of consumers agree that a business must play a role in addressing societal issues, right? Um, When you ask leaders, 87% feel purpose protects their company's reputation. Um, They say, you know, 75% say it it supports recruiting. So from a consumer standpoint, people are willing to pay more and be more loyal to brands that are backed behind a true purpose, okay, Mm -hmm. walking the walk, Um, employees, people, especially Gen, you know, Gen X, Gen Z are more enlightened to want to work for businesses and brands that align with their values and are demanding it, right? So when you're talking about the great resignation or quiet quitting, and this is really plaguing companies right now, when you're trying to combat you know, uh, lower employee morale and engagement and turnover and retention, brand purpose sits right at the top in terms of being able to bring you back to speed. Um, even investments from ESG qualifications. So at every at every stage of running and growing and scaling a business, this authentic commitment to purpose 
is proving to be the great sort of you know, you know qualifier for businesses that are going to sustain and grow versus those are that are just quite frankly going to become outdated and not make it. Right. It's an investment for those people internally. They want to be proud of the work that they're doing and they Absolutely. want to be pushing towards a goal that they believe in. It's also, yeah, it's great for making money, selling your product. That's a really great answer. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's great that we have the data. It used to be something that like you say it and it feels good. And a lot of businesses, quite frankly, they, you know, they trumpet it. They put it out on social <laughs> on the website. Um, and you're seeing what we're considering, you know, whether you've heard of greenwashing or purpose washing, a lot of companies saying or pledging to do good and aren't really adhering to that promise. And things like, you know, SEC governance, we've got a long way to go to hold uh, companies accountable. But if you're authentic and consistent in that approach, it's absolutely paying dividends. Um, and so how wonderful is that, right? Like mm -hmm. you can do good and do well. They do not have to be mutually exclusive. All right. I love that. And I'm going to have to re-poll people after this comes out and say, now, did you, how do you feel now? Do you feel more optimistic even about that kind of outlook? Because you don't have to choose. That's awesome. Well, yeah. And I think most people, when, when they hear, you know, I say, you know, we work with purpose-driven people and brands. Oh, so you work with nonprofits. Well, yes, we yes. do. Yes. And right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's those businesses, even for profit that are committing to a greater impact that are winning in the marketplace. It is what stakeholders are demanding of the private sector today. Um, and so, you know, um, that's just, you know, if there's, I don't love kind of chasing trends, but gosh, if this is a trend, um, you know, let's do it. Everybody jump on board. Yeah. And let's make it stay <laughs> trend to keep it up. Yeah. Okay. The second, second question I proposed, if you had the choice between a job where you were changing the world and making a small amount of income or a job where you were not contributing to world wellness, but making a very comfortable income, people would say I'd take lower income to do good. 40% felt this way. And then 60% felt I would much rather make a lot of money. So I, I was a bit floored by, I loved the honesty. Obviously it's anonymous for the rest of the people that are viewing. So that helps. Sure. I was also floored because <laughs> it is almost like the economy speaking in my mind right now. And that you really cannot miss out on any dollar that you can yeah. gain at this time. But I was shocked. What is your, what are your thoughts? I mean, I'll, honestly, I'm shocked that 40% said they would practically be penniless to make a change in the world. I think that's, that's high. Maybe I'm distorting the, the terminology there, but that's high 40%. I mean, look, I'll be honest. I'll raise my hand. I'm in the latter column. Mm -hmm. I would like to make you know, a sustainable income and support my family um, and live a comfortable life and the ability to do good. And that's why I said at the top, I know my skill sets. I am, I'm not the person that's going to be necessarily on the front lines against, you know, social injustice or climate change. However, a lot of our clients are. Um, and what I love and get fulfillment out of is being able to help them help yeah. the greatest number of people, right? 
Um, that is their passion. That is their purpose. In many cases, they're lacking the clarity of, you know, hey, we're passionate about what we do. We're purpose driven. But, you know, how do we reach more people? How do we raise more funds? Or how do we, how do we, you know, make a greater impact? Um, great. I know how to do that. I know how to help you do that for yourselves so you can do the greatest good in your work. Um, and I think it's just knowing your role. Impact and purpose can mean a million different things. You know, there's a paradigm. We've all heard uh, bottom line, right? Yeah. Businesses operating on the bottom line. Okay. Profit at all costs. There's a great paradigm considered that's called the triple bottom line. Um, I think it was developed like in the 90s. And that is a equal measurement around business to do good for profit. Yeah. But people and planet as well. So people, planet, and profit. Now, arguably, like people are now kind of saying, oh, it's really a quadruple bottom line. It's purpose. So purpose and people and planet and profit, whatever you want to call it, um, there is a way to do to check those boxes simultaneously. Um, and again, being purpose driven, doing good in the world does not mean that you're not making a profit. Um, yeah. How, how awesome to have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah, exactly. And it's the beautifully alliterated four P's too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Four P's and profit with purpose. Yeah. I told you I like alliteration. It's a little, yeah. little but it works. <laughs> it works and it's catchy. And that's also part of marketing. Part of branding. And it's just, it's just you part know, of your gets, branding. gets stuck in somebody's head. So they never forget it. And if it's for a good purpose, then we're winning. Yeah, I agree. I was very curious about that 60% and it had me thinking, okay, so maybe they want to make that money and then decide where they give their funds back to in terms of donations, sure. um, pledges, what have you. So I asked if those 60% could weigh back in those who would want to make a lot of money versus less working for a good cause. Would they regularly donate? Right. Um, and 86% said they would. So I found that also interesting, not as interesting as the other two are surprising because you want control over where your money is going. You want to probably research where you're giving your money to, but it also makes it you 100% have the jurisdiction of where your money goes mm -hmm. rather than like having a business where you don't always get all that say. Yeah. I mean, again, I think kudos to those who said they would mm -hmm. give back whether or not they do, or is it you know, I like a qualifier question, please. Like, is it a one-time thing? Is it a That's recurring a thing? Yeah. <laughs> How much are you giving back? Yeah. You know, I'm a firm believer in, in, you know, I'm full of, you know, these old, you know, adages, um, you know, someone in need, you can, you can buy them a fish or you can teach them how to fish. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think the same goes for when you look at the term corporate social responsibility, CSR, a lot of big companies say, oh, we have, you know, we've got a CSR department and we do all this give back and good. I think that's wonderful. I think it's philanthropic in a way, but it's mm -hmm. so one directional, one dimensional. That's great. You're making a ton of profit at any cost, kind of like carbon offsets. And then, oh, but we're going to try and do right as a residual. Um, okay. But what were the means you got, you know, and damage you've done to get to that profit, to be able to give back? Okay. Are you just offsetting your own destruction? Um, yeah. Not to be like draconian about it, but like, so CSR to me is kind of one dimensional in the sense that, oh, we've got a, 
we've got a, a philanthropic give, we're going to donate and write these checks. Cool. Love it. Give back. But the flip side of that is kind of a methodology considered, uh, you know, CSV, uh, uh, creating shared value. So as opposed to a one directional give, how are you continuously engaging your community or reinvesting in your stakeholders, your communities, your supply chain so that everybody wins, right? You know, the yeah. tide, you know, the tide that rises all ships. So again, you've got more of a sustainable give back model than, oh, well, we're going to give back and donate once in a while when it's convenient for us, help them keep their lights on. But if we put a little more effort and intention into helping the people that are part of our supply chain, whether it's farmers that grow our, our crops or, you know, investing in schools and education for our potential future workforce, like we all, we all elevate. So I know I, I'm going to go, I, I know I'm going down the rabbit hole in a lot of these things, but it's because it's an, you're asking the right questions, but it's an exciting time to like reframe all of our like preconceived notions about what it means to, well, if I do good, I don't make any money, but if I make money, then I'll give some of it back. Um, I don't think, like you said, it doesn't have to be as black and white. Yeah, it definitely does not. And I, going back to your idea that profit and purpose are not mutually exclusive um, and you can have two of those together. Do you find that people are afraid to even start a nonprofit because of the idea that they're not going to make any money or like a distrust in the process of that? Well, I mean, I think nonprofits are unique. Um, mm -hmm. And I know some nonprofits where I'm not going to name names, but the leaders in the C-suite make a really good amount of money. Now, you can yeah. actually look it up. I think it's all yeah, you can. knowledge. You can, yes, you can. Um, so there's nonprofits that pay themselves quite a bit of money. Yeah. But there's nonprofits out there that are making tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, to what extent and what percentage that 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 those funds and revenue go directly into their impact efforts? That's different for every and there's different ratings for different nonprofits. That's different for every nonprofit. So, you know, when you're running a nonprofit on paper of 501c3, yeah, looks good, feels good. But some of them are doing really well and have a lot of disposable income and funds. Um, and some are struggling. And um, I, I really love leaning into those that have a very clear and authentic purpose and passion behind what they do. But for every reason, they might not have the right team or infrastructure or strategy or clarity to grow. Um, digging in with them and figuring out, okay, great. You've got all the right tools. Let's put a plan together to help you reach more people and impact more lives. Um, so I think nonprofit is a unique way to say it, but just like a for-profit business, there's those that make a ton of money and those that just barely scrape by. You're right. Perfect segue into diving further into how you help companies build a business with purpose, build a brand with purpose. So somebody wants to do social good and create a profitable business, but they are just at this point, the idea, they woke up one day and the egg hatched and they're like, wait a second, I have something here, but I have nothing else to go on. What's next? Um, great question. Uh, and I think it really does follow kind of those three phases that I outlined earlier. 
you know, a real clear brand discovery, meaning getting extremely clear on your why you exist, how you are uniquely different and positioned to, to serve on that why, and then what you offer. That's kind of the golden circle of Simon Sinek, right? But start with why. Um, from there, um, you need to be really crystal clear and coherent on your brand messaging. If you can't define it clearly for yourself or even your team, or you know they're repeating it a bunch of different ways, um, mm -hmm. good luck trying to get your customers to understand what you do and why, yeah. why you exist. Um, you wouldn't believe some of the you know clients I speak with been around for years. I'm like, great, pitch me one line. What do you do? I'm like, oh, mm, well, you know, they hum and ha. And the elevator pitch. Let's go. Yeah. The elevator pitch, right? Have it off the cuff. Yep. Um, get really damn clear on your on your positioning, um, your brand messaging. How are you uniquely positioned? Why you exist? What you offer? Um, your one-liner, your elevator pitch should be a combination of what is the problem you're solving? How are you uni uniquely solving it? Your kind of secret sauce. Um, and what is the kind of solution or outcome people expect from that, right? It's that ABC model, that combination. And if you can distill that into one line, you're killing it. It's like a light bulb moment. Aha. Um, part of it, there's other nuances to that. Knowing your customer personas, knowing your, your competitive landscape, developing your content strategy, website. I mean, there's a lot of components to discovery, but get the foundation right first. Measure twice, cut once. I promise yeah. you it's going to make everything else so much easier. From there, great. Now we can start to put together, let's let's put up our website with our really clean, clear framework and messaging, right? What are our assets saying that are consistent and compelling to target that audience and what their needs and pain points are? And now let's go run some growth marketing, right? Um, yeah. But a lot of people like to approach it the opposite way. They've got a big idea. They got a prototype. Great. Let's hire some influencers to go talk about it for us. Yeah. Absolutely. It's almost like, think of, this is exactly what I was thinking when you were saying, think of your one-liner, get it all crisp and clear. What would you say if you were in the shark tank? Like right. you have to be so concise because they will grill you alive. Yes. And that's a great, you're absolutely right. That's a great sort of use case for it. Like you really think these people are walking in there, like off the cuff with an idea? No. Like they <laughs> probably watched a lot of Shark Tank. They yeah. know they've got to keep it clean and clear and tight. Um, and then, and then, yeah, you get into the nuances of how and why your product is unique. What, what, you know, what solution is it solving? All that good stuff. Um, but again, going back to storytelling, and I believe mm -hmm. it's just a matter of storytelling. What is the story you're telling your audience? You know, what, what do they want? What is the challenge they're facing? How are you uniquely positioned to solve that? Mm -hmm. And then paint a picture of what life looks like once you have. Make their life easier. Right? Yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. So this podcast, we cover imposter syndrome. And obviously it's nothing new to anybody here. It's probably nothing new to you, but it holds people back in their life and their belief in their self, their self-worth. Somebody has this great idea, but is very nervous and doubtful, let's say, that they can even make this vision a reality. What would be your advice to somebody? Or do you have a story of a business that came to you and was like, we just don't believe this is possible? Um, yeah, my business. Oh, um, shit. great. I mean, talk about two hands raised imposter syndrome. We all, like you said, an amen for unpacking it. We 
everybody experiences this. And the thing that, look, from an independent filmmaker to building a, you know, a seven figure agency with zero marketing experience. Mm. Like you don't think I had imposter syndrome every step of the way. Like, I don't know what the, I don't know if we're allowed to curse on this guy. Oh, absolutely. Okay, great. Um, It's better when you can beep it out. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Right. I'm just saying yes to a lot of things and I'm figuring it out and learning it as I go. Um, I still have it to this day. I don't care. Where yeah, I'm will anybody computer. believe you if they look at your background? Right. <laughs> and the truth is, and you know, you can kind of use this this term, you know, fake it till you make it. I don't love that because I don't believe like you're you're necessarily faking it. Um I was consistently amazed early on start as a consultant. Um I was so daunted by bidding against or being in the room with like bigger agencies or mm-hmm. big companies, and I'm like shit, I don't know what I'm doing, but, um, but I know I can hustle and I know I can figure it out. And whether it was building a website or launching a social campaign or a global speaking tour or launching an entire like fortune 500 product line, you figure it out. And the more, the more I saw behind the curtain at these big agencies and big companies, they don't know what the hell they're doing. I mean, not to take anything away from them, but that was a big inspiration for me in starting my company. I was amazed at the outstanding prices people were charging and kind of what they were delivering. I'm like, oh, that's it? Like, that's it? Um, there's no magic to it. There's no secret sauce. Um, if you're intentional and you're creative and collaborative, you can do some amazing things. So again, having no background in marketing and building an agency bootstrap from scratch. Yeah. That's a lesson in imposter syndrome and overcoming it. And, you know, the process of staying power, there's going to be a lot of people that come and go along the way that told you that, that tell you, you can't do it. You know, you're too small. You don't know what you're doing. You don't have the pedigree. You haven't worked with these big brands. Um, but I'll tell you the most rewarding thing is when you deliver something to a client and it's like delightful to them and it opens their mm-hmm. eyes to the possibilities like that's the proxy high that I get. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. And you bring a lens that a lot of other people in your position don't. You bring a storytelling lens. You bring the background that you have for narrative and that kind of stuff. It, I don't feel like it comes naturally to a lot of people, but you have it. And a lot of agencies might not. And that probably serves you well. And that's just saying, you know, all of these skills are transferable that you have from your past and pinpoint them, take them out, build on them. If you have to take a class at night, ask right. a mentor, right. but do it. Yeah. I, I look again, I think like what a dichotomous like translation. I mean, I don't care what you've done for your career. Like every moment is a chance to turn it yeah. all around and change it up. Um, and if you've got a great idea, like there's a lot of great ideas out there. It's about your ability and staying power to execute and see it through. Like I, mm. like I told you, I have been through many severe highs and severe lows with my, with my business, my agency, um, like brought to my knees stuff like, oh my gosh, how am I going to make payroll? How am I going to, you know, feed my family? But, you know, you stick with it and you get through it. And I like to say, trust the process. Um, and it's what you make of it. Um, so I believe this is not marketing and, and all this business is not rocket science. We're like living in a time where you can learn anything and everything under the sun. Um, are you willing to commit the time and energy and effort to do so? And if so, 
you stick with it long enough, you can hang with the best of them. I thrilled that you said that. One of my favorite comedians con- consistently says, we're all on a level playing field here. Yeah. Nobody is really that much smarter than the next yeah. person. It's all about your drive and what you do with it. And that you don't give up one foot in front of the other, even on the hard days when you're on your knees. That's it. That's yeah. that's what separates people from achieving you know, greatness. They don't have like this, you know, special secret recipe. They don't have, you know, I mean, again, I do, I too believe on an, uh, on a level playing field. Um, it's the people that are willing to do the small percentage of people. I mean, I'm talking 1% of 1% that are willing to do the things that the other 99.9% of people aren't willing to do every day. Yeah. The uncomfortable stuff. Yeah. And making it through the hard days and still doing it and not yeah. giving up. Like that's, that's a skill in itself. Yeah. That's, I, and it's, it's not, not easy. Not an, it is not for the faint of heart. It is not an no. easy road. Um, it is lonely. It is isolating. It is like, oh my gosh, you know, and again, grass is always greener. You know, yeah. I've contemplated almost every day. Well, what if I just kind of went and got a regular job and was comfortable and easy. And there's nothing wrong with that. Many, many, many of my friends have a typical nine to five W2 sort of job. Um, some are content, some aren't, but they put on the golden handcuffs, so to speak, and they go do it. Um, and that's totally fine. Um, but if you don't feel like you fit in that mold and in that box and you want to do something divergent or different, don't don't tell yourself like you're going to just, you know, clock in and clock out every day and be happy. Um, try to find what that pursuit is and, and go after it. Yeah. Don't lie to yourself about being happy either. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, make it, make it where you can push, push where you don't think you can make it. Just do it. Yeah. I love it. You did mention some competition Obviously, with your agency, there's way more agencies than is probably needed on the market. But curious from both the perspective perspective of your agency and the perspective of the brands that you help that are building their brands, the businesses that are building their brands, what are effective strategies that you found for rising above the competition and keep going? Yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to singular clarity of, of, of your why. And, and how you're uniquely positioned in the marketplace. Um, whether, you know, you've got to find, you've got to find your niche, right? Yeah. I believe in finding your niche. Um, n- you know, what, what niche or segment of the broader market can you own or at least champion and, and, and kind of plant a stake in, you know, for us, and we've been there, we were all things to all companies that wanted to work with us. And it was great. And, but we lost sight of, I lost sight of what was important and the joy from that. Um, and having that lens and that filter to say, all right, great. I want to work with people that have a passion and a greater commitment to impact and purpose um, beyond the profit. Have your profit too. We're going to help with that. Um, but what is the greater impact you want to have uh, in the lives of your customers, your community, the world? Um, I don't care what business you're in. You need to have that unique, singular kind of clarity and focus. Um, the more you can absolutely drill down on that in the masthead, the header of your website, you know, what is, what is your unique position and how are you uniquely positioned to serve and deliver on that? Um, I believe that is what's going to separate you from everybody else and, and staying the course with that you need to commit to it. You cannot just treat it as lip service. 
Um, you've got to bridge, you know, the quote unquote promise with performance. Um, yeah, definitely. And profit is a byproduct of all of that. It is. And like I shared with you, and there's, there's so many more statistics around it. Like it will come. Yep. It will, um, you know, at every level, you know, when people are willing to pay more, uh, to, you know, they want to buy from work with work for these companies. Um, I think it's a great sort of qualifier. Um, and at the, in the same breath, you can run a business and, you know, I've heard a lot of people say we have a no asshole policy. I'm like, okay, I, I get that. Um, mm -hmm. but when you really want to align with the, with, and, and you know, you can help a certain segment of people in a unique way, don't shy away from it. Don't try to be all things to all clients and customers know who you are uniquely positioned to serve and lean in on that and they will find you. Yeah. And fill the niche on the market that needs it. I love it for working with these brands at vanquish curious how important strategy is for the long haul and how often you do check-ins are you with these brands from say when they approach you and you have like a package deal where they get like five consult calls and then you guys check in on strategy continuously or what do those look like yeah i mean i always prefer to be like i said a little bit more in, embedded um, with a client or an organization for the long haul. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd rather have a small core group of really aligned clients that we just, we know each other very well and we can intrinsically collaborate seamlessly versus yeah. a rinse and repeat model, which you see with a lot of different agencies. Um, so to answer your question, I mean, again, that's kind of going back to that initial blueprint, creating that strategy that is going to help guide you in the next six months, year, six years right? So that everyone's operating off the same plays. Um, you know, we do weekly huddles with our teams um, where all of us can align and check in on everything from what's happening this week to bigger picture strategy and initiatives to KPIs and performance tracking. Um, I believe it's important to hold each other accountable to that. Um, and so I believe in transparency. Don't shy away from, sure, it's easy to share the wins, but what's not working and why? Yeah. How do we resolve that? Um, I think everyone wants accountability. Um, and if they don't, then I don't think they're really truly invested in change. So, you know, the reason why I kind of dig the fractional CMO model is it's designed to be more embedded long tail with an organization versus a consultant. I think there's one, many wonderful consultants in there. They come in, they do an assessment, they give you a presentation or a plan and, they, and they're out. And it's up to your team to execute and implement it. And most of the times they're not going to do it. Um, versus someone who is embedded in the organization who is building a plan and helping nurture and guide the implementation of it, build a plan and execute the plan. Yep. Yep. Do you recommend revisiting strategy regularly for oh, businesses? Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah very the regularly. thing that, you know, I'll say with any strategic plan is it is a constantly iterable, you know, document and living, breathing mm. thing. Mm -hmm. um, there's no such thing as set it and forget it. You're constantly having to adjust your insights, your tactics, your approach. I mean, a lot of it is, yeah, there's a lot of data and research that goes into it, but a lot of it is built on assumptions. And so you might go to market with one assumption and, oh my goodness, like we are not, you know, resonating with the customers we thought we were, but hey, there's this really awesome niche audience we wouldn't even think of. How do we best capture and serve them? Um, you've got to be agile and nimble. You've got to look and listen to the data. 
you've got to be willing to be vulnerable and admit when you're wrong. And hey, we, we didn't plan for that. We didn't account for that. That wasn't in our strategic plan. Um, so just, you know, when we hand over a blueprint, it's a moment in time. It is where you stand today in a picture of where you want to go and how you'll get there. But there's going to be so many iterations along the way. Right. You work with brands all across the spectrum. You said very large brands, um, businesses. I'm using those two words interchangeably. I hope that's not confusing. But businesses for, you know, huge profits. They have like a huge C-suite to the very small nonprofits. In the businesses you're working with, do you see any patterns and difficulties that they're facing? Um, yeah. Yeah, the answer is they are all wrestling with similar challenges. Mm, that's really interesting. I've, yeah, like I've worked and consulted with, with larger brands. I really love to focus on small to medium-sized businesses. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I love working more intimately, deeply with a founding team, an entrepreneur, CEO, um, the larger the organization, the harder it is to navigate some of those tiers and bureaucracy. Um, yeah. um, so SMBs is kind of our focus, my focus. Um, but what's really interesting is that a lot of the same things that these small businesses wrestle with are endemic to massive organizations. And like, it never ceases to amaze me. So for example, um, you know, there's a small business that arguably is going to be more agile and nimble, um, in implementing SOPs and, you know, whether it's, you know, automations or CRM or whatever their marketing tactics are. Um, I've been a part of large organizations where you can ask anybody from the top down to recite, you know, what is your brand, you know, what is your brand purpose, right? Or what is your brand identity mission? You know, give me the pitch. And it's different at every single layer. Um, so from a brand identity standpoint, I think there's a lack of clarity. I think systems and, and best practices, there's there's a the lack of consistency. Um, that's the thing that's amazed me most is I used to kind of think that, okay, well, if you've been around for 20 years and you're making hundreds of millions of dollars, you got to have it figured out. And that's just not the case. That's kind of insane. And I'm shocked to hear that the answer would be different. But I think I read that in a book about product management not too long ago, where somebody came in, they asked different levels what the purpose was, what the goal was for the business. And it was different in every layer. That's that's absolutely the case. And uh, you know, but even in terms of systems and strategies for, hey, what's our what's our marketing strategy, right? Yeah. What are our growth goals? And, you know, just because you have a lot more team members and people dedicated towards it doesn't mean there's always a coherent vision. Um, I believe it's easier to enact that change and rebuild it at a at a core level with an SMB, put it in place early on and often. Um, and it makes it it's like jet fuel for them. Um so I guess, you know, the answer to your question is the challenges really aren't that, aren't that different. It's just the scale of the challenges. So right. imagine you're suffering with, you know, you don't have a clear, you know, lead gen sales pipeline and automations built into your CRM. Okay. Well, what's easier to tackle when you're getting thousands of hits uh, or millions of hits on your website every day? And how do I change things up from an enterprise level versus, you know, maybe tens or a hundred here and there. And okay, great. It's not as much of a Herculean effort to kind of put in some some SOPs and build for the better. Yeah. 
I'm not sure how saturated the market is, but has anybody ever recommended that you write a book? Because I think that you would make a very good author of this idea. Um, thank you. And I agree. It's way oversaturated. <laughs> um, I, I hope someday um, I would love to, but yeah. I'm not going to do it until I know I can put something down that is, you know, needed and unique and Saying not something regurgitated. new. Um, and, and again, I get it. Like there's not, I don't, I don't think there's anything entirely new under the sun. It's just a different yeah. way of looking at things, but I'm hyper, hyper aware of, you know, on LinkedIn and I'm a, this consultant, I'm a, this coach and I'm a, this pro that's going to 10 X your company. There's just a lot of smoke and mirrors. And so I really try and, um, lead by action and doing first and, and again, it's that imposter syndrome creeping in. Like, you know, you're not going to write a book. Um, thanks for the encouragement. Stay tuned. <laughs> so is there anything else that you would like to cover in the last couple of minutes we have left? Um, no, I mean, I love your questions. I love the polls you've written. I Thank really you. want, I would like, I'm curious to see after people listen to this, prompt them to do some, some further due diligence. I'm happy to share some more insights. Um, I want you to retake that poll again in like, I don't okay. know, a month, three months, whatever. Um, after feeding people a steady stream of data and reality and, and, you know, again, leaving you with profit and purpose, not mutually exclusive. You can do good and do well. Um, you can find that balance. So I challenge everybody out there listening to think about how you would respond, re-respond to those questions with that in mind, if those things were possible, which they are. Love it. I'm going to email you for some data and just feed it out in stories. That sounds like a really cool idea. Yeah. I'm actually after this launches. I love it. I'm gonna do uh, I'm gonna I'm I'm planning kind of a live stream kind of webinar workshop all around this, you know, the why of brand purpose, how it drives growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I'll shoot you a link to that once I have a date and a time for it, but we're going to really geek out on the data because it's like fun. super fun to play with and, and show people tangibly, Hey, look, it works. And this is how you walk the talk. Absolutely. So Chase, where can people find you? Uh, vanquishmediagroup.com. Um, you can book with call with me, discovery call vanquishmediagroup.com slash discovery call. Um, find me on LinkedIn, Chase Friedman, um, hit me up with questions. I'd love to chat with you and help hopefully nudge you, empower you on that path with that great big idea and, um, and, and figuring out how to kind of walk the talk as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. This was so insightful and just a breath of fresh air about what you can achieve and still live. Well, thanks for thanks for giving me the platform and doing what you do. Um, I loved being here. We could probably go on for hours, and maybe there's a phase mm-hmm. a part two coming soon. But um, yeah, I think it's a great conversation that we need to have more of to empower people that uh, to understand truly what they are capable of. Because again, all of us are. Couldn't have said it better myself. You can probably guess what I would recommend to be the takeaway if you take away only one thing from this conversation with Chase. (laughs) Profit and purpose are not mutually exclusive. You can have a purpose-driven company and still gain a lot of profit. You can be profitable. And 
as I said in the beginning, this is applicable to many things. For this conversation, mostly applicable to the business sense of find your business purpose, how you want to give back to the world on that scale of goods or services, and still have profit to go with it. On the other side of that, you can also grow to be a very large company and not sacrifice purpose. That is, for me, something that I wasn't really thinking about in that way, and Chase tied that together for me. You don't have to sacrifice anything in the pursuit of growing business, in the pursuit of following your dreams through that. Just hold that dear, my friends. Hold that dear. Chase shared a bit of data with me, which is wonderful, and I'm going to give it to you, just a little tidbit of it, with your trivia. Chase and I chatted about competition in the field and say that you're an up-and-coming business, but you might not have the most novel idea, not new idea, and there might be some competition out there. I would say it's very important to still keep your purpose on your horizon, dial that in, call up Chase if you're not sure how to do that, and chase it down because a study done by Conspiracy of Love found that millennials, so those born between 1980 and 1994, when they were polled, they were 91% likely to switch from a product they typically buy, so tried, true, trusted, to a new product from a purpose-driven company. So if they have a similar product that it doesn't say anything about price point, they want to give to this purpose-driven company, 91% would switch to the purpose-driven company product. That is an incredible statistic. Um, I was shocked it was so high, but as a millennial myself, I 100% buy from purpose-driven companies if the option is there. This also makes me think that I will probably be researching a little bit heavier when I want to buy something to see if I can get the same item or very similar item from a purpose-driven company because now it's going to be in the back of my mind and I hope it's going to be in the back of your mind too. Well, imposters, go chase your damn dreams, okay? And if you want to start a business but you're really, really worried about not making enough money because you want to do something really good, fret no more. Just play this back. If you know of somebody who would really benefit from hearing this episode, please share it. Also, like and subscribe. This is going to be the first episode of the new Cadence, which is the first Thursday of every month. I'm going to put out an episode. I hope that you enjoyed. Please rate and subscribe and follow me if the platform allows. I would super, super appreciate it. And a cute little review if you would like. I also really love those. Thank you again so much for listening. I will have where to find Chase and where to find myself below. Get in touch if you want to be on the pod. I would love it. And email me all about your imposter stories and imposter scenarios. But until then, I will see you next first Thursday of the month. All right, bye.